Pastor Cliff Gleason, and I want to thank you for tuning in today to our worship service. Here at the Laconia Seventh-day Adventist Church, we worship Jesus Christ as our Creator, our Lord, our Savior, and our coming King. And we hope that you will enjoy this service with us, that you'll be inspired by the teaching and the music and every part of our service. So sit back and enjoy, and thank you for being with us today. Well, do we have room for everybody today? Yeah. I'm on, yeah. How many do we have today? Three. Three boys. Any of you have brothers? You have a brother right here? Just just one brother you have? Oh, you each have two brothers. Hey, that works pretty good, huh? Well, today I have something. Let's see. What is this thing? A cup. But today it's not going to be a cup. Today we're going to... Today we're going to pretend this is a car. Yeah, boys like cars, right? What kind of car do you like? Hot Wheels? Yeah, how about you? You like Hot Wheels? A golden car. Uh, well, let's pretend this is a car and it's down here in the valley. This car belonged to my daughter when she was going to college. She had a red car with a big glass window on the back. And it was kind of a sports car. And she was driving it from the valley and she had to go up the mountain on these winding roads, winding roads, up, up, up to the top. And at the top of the mountain is where the college was. Imagine a mountain at the top, I mean a college at the top of the mountain. It was a very nice place. It's called Pacific Union College. You could, yeah, it had some pretty nice views up there. And it had redwood trees. There was one grove of redwood trees. It was very beautiful. So she went to college up there, but she had to go down the mountain to the place where she worked. She worked in a place down here on the mountain, at the bottom in the valley. And one day she was coming home from work and it had just begun to rain. And the rain was on the road, just coming on the road. And she didn't know it, but you know, sometimes when, ro when rain comes on a road, if, if there's oil on the road, the, the rain makes it slippery, almost like ice. Well, she didn't know that, and she was coming up the mountain, coming up or going around the corners, coming up the mountain. And when she came around this corner, her car split, slid around this way, and then she, she turned the wheels, and it slid around this way, and it crashed right into, it went backwards, right into a tree. 
and that big window on the back got all smashed. And the bumpers got pushed in, and she was, oh, boom, like this. And she, she like, was stunned. And, and her car, let's see. Yeah, all smushed. Oh, you're going to really smush it up good for us. Okay, so, and it was tilting like this, right on the edge of a big drop-off down the side of the mountain and holding it up was a little tiny tree over here was the tree big tree that she crashed into but that couldn't hold her up there was a little tiny thin tree thinner than my wrist holding up the car from going down the edge but she didn't she didn't know that she was just stunned and then she she came to and she she could get her door open she stepped out of the car and the man was standing there and this was, there was woods all around. There weren't any houses or anything. But the man was standing there, and the man said, are you okay? And she said, I think so. But, and then she felt, oh, her glasses. Her glasses came off from the bang of the accident. And she thought, oh, my purse. I've got to get my purse. So she was going to climb back into the car to get her glasses and her purse. And the man said, no, no, you can't go in there because if she put too much weight on the side of the car, it would go down, crashing down the hillside, the mountainside. And so he said, no, don't go in there. And he took and he said, don't go in there. And so she, she didn't go into the car. And then she heard a car coming. And another car came down the mountain and saw that she was crashed and the car pulled over. And it was one of her teachers, one of the teachers from up at the college. And he recognized her. He said, Nicole, are you okay? And she said, yes, I think so. This man's been helping me. And they turned around, and he wasn't there. And she said, the teacher said, there's no man here, and there's no car or anything, and there's no house for him to go to. What do you mean there's a man here? She said, there was a man right here, and he helped me not to go back in the car. But there was nobody around. Do you know who I think that man was? I think it was God sent an angel, and the angel took the appearance of a man, like the Bible says they do sometimes. And he kept her from going in, and the car did not go down the hill and did not crash. It stayed right there, and the tow truck came and took it away, and Nicole was all right. Isn't that good for God to send his angels to watch over us? That's why we should pray every day. Say, God, I want to be in your hands, and he, his hands are good hands. Thank you for listening to our story about our crashed-up car. Thoroughly crashed-up car. <laughs> And turn to Matthew. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm right. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And for those who may be watching on YouTube, might be a time to pause 
So you find this text and you can read it with us. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I do not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against a father, a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. May the Lord add his blessing as our pastor brings us the word. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Let's turn to Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to start reading with verse 1. It tells a story about a certain man, a man named Saul. Starting with verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. That's the death of uh, Stephen first Christian martyr and at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him as for Saul he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Let me tell you Katya's story. Katya was in Russia when communism took over in 1917. She was just seven years old. Just seven years old. But many years she remembered clearly her experience. See, her grandfather was a Protestant pastor in Russia at that very time. And he had been given by the authorities one day to prepare for arrest. What would you do in one day? What he did, among things, he took the family Bible out to the field and buried it. his most precious possession, most precious possession for his family. He knew they would be rounding up Bibles and disposing of them. So he buried it out in the field and didn't even tell anybody where it was. I imagine he thought that if the authorities came when they arrested him and asked his wife, where is the family Bible? She could honestly say, I don't know. But as it was, they took him away that day 
and they put him in a prison. After some weeks, he was allowed to have visitors. And so the family came and they brought clothes and food to help him survive through the cold winter. They had to say their goodbyes through barbed wire fencing. Little seven-year-old Katya reached her little hand through to touch grandfather. She didn't know it would be the last time she'd ever touch him. Nobody knew that in just two weeks he would be martyred for his faith. Grandmother was the last one of the family to be greeting grandfather. As she reached her hands through the fence and took hold of his, she felt a paper put in one of her hands and she held it tightly between her fingers and when she took her hands through the fence, she secretively put it, put that paper into her pocket and left it there. Until she was home safely and in the privacy of her home, she opened up that little paper and found it gave her instructions. Instructions where to go in the field to dig up the family Bible. And instructions to open up that Bible and to look inside the front cover and find there some pages of written material that the grandfather had prepared for the family. And he asked her to take and assemble the family together so that she could read it to them all. It was like his last, his spiritual last will and testament to the family. And Katya remembers the day grandmother got all 30 of the family together and read those pages. The very last thing that he said in that uh, written statement, he said, remember Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Remember Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 where Jesus said, I require of you to be faithful unto death. And two weeks later, that was his experience. I'm going back to Acts chapter 9 now and verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, that means Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As, and as he journeyed near Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Goes on to tell how he lost his sight and he found a Christian to help him. And when his sight was restored, in verse 20 it says, Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on the name in Jerusalem 
and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. In Southeast Asia, as Pastor Nick went around visiting different places, talking to people who were Christians under persecution, Nick met a man that he called the toughest man he had ever met. He had been, this man had been in the army and led a squad of 15 men up in the mountains between the borders of two countries. And he took delight in killing people who were not Muslim, who were trying to come into the country. He, did, he used hand-to-hand -hand combat. And the blood of his enemies, he felt, was he was offering up as a sacrifice, an offering to Allah. When asked how many, he said he quit counting over a hundred. But this man told, this toughest man told about how after a period of time he began to get a dream, a recurring dream. He looked at his hands and he saw spots of blood on his hands. And as the dreams repeated again and again, the spots grew bigger and bigger. And finally his dream, he saw the blood flowing down his hands and dripping from his arms. And he was horrified at it because he instinctively knew that this represented the blood of the people whom he had killed. He thought he was going insane. Especially when he began to see the blood on his hands in the daytime. When he wasn't sleeping. And he tried to wash it off, but no amount of soap and pumice could get it off his hands. And he thought he would go crazy. And then one night the dream changed. Yes, he had the blood on his hands and arms. But standing by his side was a man dressed in white. A man whose head was wounded. Whose hands were scarred. His side, his feet bore scars. And this man spoke to him and said, I am Jesus, the Messiah. And I can get the blood off you. Just find me and believe in me. Well, this man had no idea how to find Jesus. It took him a year before he could even find a Bible. And it took him more than a year to be able to begin to understand what he was reading as he read this Bible. He had many questions. And sometimes he found a person who could answer some of his questions. But he was searching and searching until one day the Holy Spirit helped him to know how he could yield his heart over to Jesus. He became a Christian and the dream stopped. Because Jesus took the blood onto himself. And there was no more blood on this man.
But now he's a follower of Jesus and he has no one to, dis to disciple him. No church to attend. No Bible study to become a part of. And so he just kept on reading and studying the Bible for himself. And he decided to do everything that the Holy Spirit would show him to do. And that's what he was doing. After a couple of years of this, he was involved with smuggling Bibles into the country. And other Christian materials, even the Jesus film. He's bringing it into this Muslim country. After two years of being involved in, the, in smuggling, one day he was going over the mountains and he was in this narrow pass. And he came face to face with, well, let's stop right there and go back to the book of Acts chapter 9 and now verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, to kill Saul. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and, led him, and let him down through the wall in a large basket. After two years of smuggling, he was going over the mountain and in this narrow pass, he came face to face with the very squad he used to lead. Those 15 men grabbed him and they threw him to the ground and they began to beat him and beat him. Their plan was to beat him to death for he had deserted them and become a traitor in their eyes. They were in the midst of beating him when one of them, None of the other 14 knew that one of them had become a new believer in Christ. And that one said, wait, wait, let's stop and think about this before we do, before we kill him. Because we don't know who he's working with over on this side of the border or over on that side of the border. And if we kill him, we'll never know. So let me take him down the mountain to the town and I'll get him healed up because he's so badly hurt right now. We need to get him healed up so we can talk. We can interrogate him and get the information we need. And, uh, and if we have to, we can torture him to make sure we get it right. But let me take him for now. Well, that seemed very reasonable to the others. So they let that man take him and he brought him down the mountain, down to the village, and he helped him get all patched up and healed. And then he let him go free to go back to the work of smuggling the word of God into that country. Isn't it amazing how God can work? He knows what he's doing. Well, this smuggler got married, had sons, whom he later was able to baptize. And Pastor Nick, in, in interviewing him, asked a question. Well, do these sons and does your wife, do they help you in your ministry? Nick was surprised at the reaction that came. But the man became very intense. He said, how can God ask it? How can God ask it? 
I have given him everything. My body has been broken. I've been starved. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I have even been willing to die for Jesus. But do you know what I fear the most? What keeps me up at night? What makes me terrified? Is that God would ask my wife and children for the things that I've willingly already given to him. How could God ask that of my wife and children? Nick asked after a pause. He asked, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth the lives of your wife and your children? And this very tough man began to sob. And he wrapped his arms around Nick and buried his face in his shoulder and he wept. And after several minutes, he let go of Nick and he backed away. And he wiped the tears and he nodded. He said, Jesus is worth it. He is worth my life. He is worth my wife's life. Yes, Jesus is worth the lives of my children. I have got to get them involved in what God is doing with me. And when Nick checked back 12 years later, the wife and the children were very much involved with his ministry and his service to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul said these things. He said, five times I was given the 39 lashes by the Jews. Three times I was whipped by the Romans. And once I was stoned. I have been in three shipwrecks. And once I spent 24 hours on the water. In my many travels, I've been in danger from floods and from robbers. In danger from my own people and from Gentiles. As Nick went from place to place, he would ask the question of those people who survived persecution. He said, how did you learn to live that way? How did you learn to die like that? One answered this way with, with the story. He said, my father guided me and my sister to the dining room, to the table there, so we could sit and talk. And my father spoke seriously to us. Mama was crying in the other room, so we knew something was wrong. Papa said, Children, you know I am the pastor of our church. God called me to tell others about him. Tomorrow, the communist authorities are coming to take me to prison. They want me to stop telling others about Jesus. But I can't stop sharing Jesus with others because God has called me to do it. And I must obey God. And so, they will take me. And I will miss you very much. But I will trust God to watch over you when I'm gone. 
And Papa got up and he gave them a hug. And he sat back down. And he looked right into their eyes. He said, all around this region, followers are being gathered up by the authorities and they're being demanded that they give up their faith in Jesus. And whole families are being lined up and hanged by the neck until dead. I don't want this to happen to our family. So I'm praying that once they put me in prison, they will leave you and Mama alone. However, if I am in prison and hear that my wife and children have been hanged to death rather than deny Jesus, I will be the most proud person in that prison. Have we been taught that a man should value his faith more than the lives of his family? It is there in God's word, but it has been hidden. Maybe because it sounds insane. Is it really the way God intends his people to live? Am I so certain of the resurrection that I'm willing to live that way? And maybe even willing to die that way? Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, he said, All I want is to know Christ and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share his sufferings and become like him in death. And then chapter 1, verse 20, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Now maybe you're not at that point yet. But stay close to him and he'll bring you to that point for his glory, for the blessing of others. Do you want something worth living for? Do you want something worth even dying for? Jesus is it. Let us pray. Our Father, these are not easy things for us to contemplate. We care about those you've put in our lives, those in our immediate families, and beyond. And we hate to think of of them hurting of suffering, of dying. But ringing in our ears are the words of Jesus about taking up a cross, 
about loving him more than any other. And for these people in Russia and Southeast Asia and other places, it's been all too real. And even today, it's not just years ago. There are some this Sabbath who have to go to church or just read their Bibles as a decision that would break the connection between them and their families. Father, we are confronted this morning with what it means in the extreme for you to have first place, to rule on the throne of our hearts. We say with that father in the story with Jesus who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help us, Lord. Draw us in so close to you that our faith and love for you will be supreme. We can't do it, but you can, and you will. For he who has begun a good work in us will not stop until it is complete. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. worshiping with us through the media and we're glad that you were able to enjoy this particular service but we're hoping one day will come when soon you'll be able to come right to our facility we're here at 241 Province Street in Laconia and our services are on Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock for the worship service 930 if you want to come earlier for the Bible study you're always welcome we'd love to have you come and there's a special thing that happens on the second Saturday of every month. That's our fellowship meal. And we'd love to you, for you to be able to be with us and to stay afterwards and enjoy the lunch with us. Now, you may also be inspired to want to study the Bible some more. And we do have different Bible study aids. We can provide something for you to study through the mail. Or we can come to your home. Or we can arrange a small group study here at the church. So be in contact with us and we will be able to set up something that will meet your needs as best we can. Thank you again and we look forward to meeting you. God bless you in every way.